Hi there, I'm Margaret. Join me for a deep dive into the life of a freelancer. I share my clients' struggles and successes and celebrate those moments that make it oh so worth it. This is Freelance Freedom. Welcome to this episode of Freelance Freedom. Today, we're going to dive into what it's like to work with a partner, not just a business partner, but someone who's also your life partner too. I'm so excited to have Ben and Marie join me today. And as a quick intro... Ben is a product designer and software developer with a fine arts background. After many years in agency land, he started his own shop in 2010. And after immigrating to Canada, we're so happy to have you, in 2014, founded Okie Dokie with Marie. In his spare time, he collects vinyl, pet Shebas, and is a volunteer firefighter. As for Marie, Marie helps small business owners bring their digital product and service ideas to life. She's a product and service strategist and a master digital strategist. As if that isn't enough, she's an amazing designer and developer, as well as a permaculture enthusiast in her spare time. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Hello. No problem. I'm so excited. Um, So just to start off, to give everyone some context, I'll let you guys go into sort of what your current working relationship is right now, as as well as what is your life relationship. So we're just going to like set some context for all these questions that are going to come up. Yeah, so Ben and I got married a couple of years ago, and we've probably been together for about, what, eight years now? Two years. Eight years. And so Okie Dokie's been an entity for, I guess, since 2014, I think, is when we sort of officially combined we, forces. Yeah, we combined forces, and then for a year, we kind of did nothing together. Um, we <laughs> fumbled around. Yeah, <laughs> and then in 2015 was when we started a project together. For the first time. That became yeah. one of our, um, our SaaS product, Dokie. And so, yeah, so we've been officially a team for about four years now. And to be fair, though, I mean, we don't uh, we don't work on a ton of projects together. So even though leading up to joining forces, we each kind of ran our own independent, you know, businesses of one. And once we combine forces, we still kind of operate like two businesses under the same umbrella. So we still, you know, same website same invoicing, same everything. But uh, Ben tends to work with his own clients and does his own mm-hmm. consulting projects. And I tend to work on my own. And it's not... Um, it's just like we've attracted different people, I think. And we have just sort of different experience. And so we've naturally attracted different types of clients. So it hasn't been a conscious decision of like, you work on your projects and I work on mine. Mm-hmm. Just haven't really had a ton of opportunities to work on the same projects together. Okie dokie is our umbrella brand. And I think that a lot of the ways that we actually sell our services is that we generally are doing all of the work with that with our individual client, but that we sort of pitch ourselves as we do have access to this other person, basically, that is, you know, my advisor, essentially, Mm -hmm. on things that I don't cover. Um, Marie and I have a pretty good complementary skill sets and that we're both we both are multifaceted in terms of, you know, I'm primarily a programmer, but I also have a design background. So I do a lot of my own design. And then Marie's kind of the alternate to that, where she's more of the strategist designer, but she also knows a little, you know, enough about programming that she can make her own products and her own sites and things like that. But she would maybe defer to me on the larger technical questions. So, mm-hmm. so we kind of, do our own projects, but we have this advisory role for each other's projects that really, that helps us, you know, make better decisions for our customers a lot of times. Awesome. Yeah. Cause that was actually one of my big questions. Like how do you guys figure out who has the skills that are complementary to each other? But I guess that's just, I guess just with time and trial and error. 
Yeah. And if it tends to be a bit more of a, you know, technical heavy project, uh, Ben would kind of take the lead on that. And I think we do tend to have our own sort of referral sources. So Mm -hmm. Ben has a couple of people from like agency land who, you know, he's worked with for many, many years and they trust him and they know him and the kind of work that he does. So we each kind of have our almost different referral sources. And so we, I think it's been a pretty natural fit to know which one of us would take the lead on a, on a project. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So before you guys joined forces uh, in back in 2014, what were you each doing? What were you each doing on your own before that? If you can give kind of a breakdown of your your individual business model. I was in I was in the U.S. at the time, so I was still officially American. I worked in agencies for quite a few years in Cleveland and then in Seattle. And uh, I did a short stint as a, a game d- developer designer at a, a, a small game studio. And then I started my own company in 2010. And that company is called Type One Error, which is what I use for all of my uh, online names and screen names and things like that. And uh, so prior to coming to Canada, I was I had uh, I had a single employee in, at Type One Error for about three years. And we did a lot of games and mobile apps. And we did very well financially. And that allowed us to uh, that allowed us to spend about half of our time working on things that interested us. And this was kind of before I got exposed to the idea of making SaaS or products that are have this utilitarian function. And so, you know, we were very silly and kind of spent a lot of our time making things that excited us and were fun to make, like casual games and uh, mobile games and things like that, that, you know, we made a little bit of money here and there, but, um, you know, it was more for fun. So yeah, so that was prior to Okie Dokie. And then, uh, then when I immigrated to Canada, I was still doing that for about a year. And then it just kind of made sense logistically to, to start this umbrella brand uh, for some of the ideas that Marie and I were working on and kind of joined forces in some way. Yeah, and I'd been working, you know, mostly doing a lot of web design work with some digital strategy. Um, I'd worked at a studio for I think four years in Toronto and then kind of went off on my own. So I think by the time we met, we'd both been kind of doing our own thing for about seven, eight years. And then um, a lot of my web design projects seemed to have people who had different types of products. A lot of people had online courses, online communities and things like that. And those tended to be the people that had bigger budgets. And um, it was becoming a bit more intensive to do those kinds of projects because it required a lot of, you know, custom development work and integrations and PayPal and, um, you know, all all these different pieces, as I'm sure you're very familiar with. <laughs> and so just running it by Ben, I was like, there's got to be an easier way to do this. Like, the, these are pretty time consuming projects. And it just eats up so much of the budget just trying to piece all of these components together. And we started to kind of toy with the idea of maybe building something of our own. Um, in our foolish naivety, I'm like, it'll be easier to spend years building it and <laughs> help us save some time and money on our, uh, on our, our client work. Um, yeah, so that was, that was kind of how that initially began. And so we decided to, to give it a shot, build our own product and mess around with that. It sounds a little more glamorous than it was, I think. And it was definitely a lot not of, glamorous. <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of the decision making was actually pretty just logistical for me because. I'm sure that some of your listeners that have maybe gotten permanent residency in a different country or even citizenship have found if they're coming from a place like the United States, um, I, as a U.S. citizen, am required to file a tax return no matter what. And some countries have different systems for this. But as it 
was because I started having to file a Canadian tax return as well. I was also filing um, a tax return for my company in a corporate return for my company in Washington. And I was still having to pay, you know, taxes in Washington for that company. And because it had a, you know, physical address, so to speak in Seattle. Uh, So when we started our company, then I had four tax returns to file. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Two corporate tax returns, two personal tax returns. And then there's all these different forms that you don't really think about um, such as the cross border, if you have certain funding in, cert- in a different country other than your country of origin, then you have to report those that on these different forms. So it was costing me between seventy five hundred and ten thousand dollars to do my tax return every year. Te- every year, jeez. Uh, so we, I basically, it was a, it was more of a let's just found a company here because I'm going to stay here, and you know that will that means that um, I'm going to shut down my business. So I filed a final, you can, you know, on your tax return, you can mark it as a final return. And that effectively closes your business in the United States. Uh, so yeah, there's some other paperwork that I had to do to make that real. But, you know, now I'm down to just, uh, you know, we, we found a, an accountancy accountant place um, that helps us do all of our returns together. Uh, so that's really, really advantageous. Yeah. Things, yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, I mean, that's stuff that people don't even think of. So do you still have to file, like you still have to file personal tax too? Because you shut down the yeah. corporation. Yep. Oh, okay. So you have to, so you're doing Canadian and then you're doing, still do yeah. personal in the US? How, yeah. just out of curiosity, how long does that go on for? Forever. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 there's not many countries in the world that operate like this but yeah you know if you're a citizen you have to file a tax return um even if it's even zero, if it's a zero. nil a nil oh. return so so my u.s tax returns are effectively nil returns because of certain tax treaties such as i think you know nafta is one of those that controls that uh, i think it's being renamed for various reasons next year or maybe even sooner but yeah so basically i file a return that says i made xyz in canada and then my uh, the us guy at the uh, accountancy we work with he basically marks that as you know foreign income on my us tax return and because i've been taxed um in that country it's i'm not taxed on that same revenue in another country so Mm. For some freelancers that come from different countries that don't have those kind of agreements, there's this potential for double taxation, which gets mm. pretty scary. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have have citizen, well, you know, permanent residency and citizenship in, a, in countries that have that agreement together. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, cool. So then that brings you to kind of you guys built uh, built your company together, and then we touched on a little bit that uh, that specifically the product that you wanted to create together was a SaaS product. Do you want to go into a little bit about because you guys have both come from sort of a non SaaS environment? So how was it going into? And Marie, I totally get that. Like. I don't see the right solution out there. I'm going to make one myself because I feel like I would. I feel like I would do the same thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, what what drew you into the SaaS community? I know the main purpose was to sort of solve a problem, and then what were what were some unexpected hurdles that came up? Not only while you were building the actual product itself, but planning that while building a company at the same time because now we're doing because now you're doing two things now we're building the actual mm-hmm. product but you're also building the infrastructure of what's to become this company too so many hurdles yeah, yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I guess I, I had a little bit, now that I think about it, I had a little bit of a background in the agency that I worked for in Seattle called Buck Wild. Um, they had a number of musician clients and a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, flash websites we did back then were for musicians. I mean, I, I tell these stories all the time, but the very first project I worked on them was, uh, I did ice T's website in flash. <laughs> I was like, this is, this <laughs> That's is the amazing. coolest project ever. Um, <laughs> But they, they started seeing this thing too, where all of these musicians had this very similar, these needs for reaching their fans and things like that. So they actually started this product called Ground Control, which they spun out of the company and hired a whole different staff and then eventually became a completely separate company. Um, but they did this a bunch of times with, um, they had these great ideas that we were doing repetitively for these customers, um, clients, and they would spin you know, spin off this secondary company. So they had, a you know, the, the musician stuff. And then they also spun off a company that, um, a couple of my friends still work for now. That's very successful called elastic, which is, uh, another thing, another thing that Buckwild did was, uh, outdoor industry stuff. Um, so backpacks and, and, uh, hiking and things like that. So you think of your North faces and Gregory backpacks and things like that. And that was another product that they spun out of the agency and became a whole separate brand again. Um, so those kind of things I think happen to us as well, where you're, you know, as an agency or a services company, you're seeing these problems that clients are having over and over and over again. And we, you start thinking, well, we can, we can lower our pricing and give these people these, you know, a turnkey solution that, um, you know, that we maintain one code base instead of having to maintain, you know, if you're offering the same product to a hundred people and you build that with the same toolkit every time, um, it, it allows you to do updates and maintenance. And when you give a feature to one client, then that all the other clients get that same feature. So it's this kind of, you know, you're selling the, you're selling a, a package deal that allows you to say, you get sort of ongoing, um, new stuff and new, uh, value adds by committing to a subscription model. Um, so yeah, initially it was Marie said earlier that, you know, we were redoing these PayPal setups and all this. We were using uh, wishlist you were using wishlist at the time, and so we started looking at how we might repeat some of that functionality as as something that other people might be able to self serve and create versus us having to do that work. But I think what we didn't realize was the people that we were serving. You know, the budgets were a lot higher. Like people aren't paying us thirty dollars a month to work on their custom course websites. And so the scale that you need when you have a product that's like $30 a month or $50 a month, suddenly you need to be reaching hundreds and thousands of people, which was something we never did. I mean, we barely, you know, would email our list and, you know, we would work with only a handful of clients at a time at a much higher price point. So um, I think we were, we were very naive about what was involved. We just thought, oh, we'll build this tool. It'll solve a problem. And, you know, people will just come and it'll be super easy. So we were, we were pretty hilariously naive about, I think, the marketing effort that was going to be required when you move to a different model like that. Yeah. And I find sometimes with those, uh, one of the challenge with, uh, with those models, and I, I haven't experienced it to the level that you guys have before, but I have, I've sort of seen and heard that, some of the like the expectation of support sometimes for mm-hmm. something that I mean, Marie, like you said, we're used to building things that are like 10, 20, 30 plus grand for people. And, and there is a certain level of support that comes with it. But then I think it's, it's, and I don't really know the psychology behind it, but there, I feel like with something that's 
$30 to $50 a month, people have almost like a weirdly more expectation of, of support. Am I wrong with that? I don't know. Just like, I, what I feel like anecdotally speaking, it's kind of, it is a, it does feel like an inverse thing where, <laughs> because you're, I think it's less about the, the, the perceived value and more about the relationship that you're building with a customer. If somebody is, somebody is willing to pay you, you know, the starting at $15,000, say for a product, there's this expectation that they're getting a level of commitment from you that um, that sort of they're, they're I think they're a little more respectful of of the value that you're providing to them and you're building that relationship over time. So there's more of a you know you you develop and it and it's and it's and it gives you as a freelancer or a contractor the ability to be more clear about what the relationship is between the two of you. So you can establish that up front and you can have these ongoing calls about, yeah, that's included, that's not included. And, and you develop more of that ability to say, to say no a little easier because there's more clearly defined boundaries. Um, whereas with a, a SaaS product, there's this expectation of it's more of a transaction. And so it's more like going to the grocery store and checking out and saying, you know, oh, I bought this, I bought this six pack of soda, but there's only five in here. And like, I want my money back. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's more of a commodity. And so it's easier to, it's easier to like, you know, remove the, the person behind the creation of that product. And I, I, I mean, I do all the support on our SaaS and, you know, I have from the beginning and, and I enjoy doing it because I like, you know, solving customer problems and I like hearing what they're struggling with and, it's valuable and you know maybe it's probably not the best use of my time but i i, I don't you mind doing so it. much yeah. right and we have had we have had cases where customers because something happened where you know they thought they were charged incorrectly or something like that or 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 you know a, a transaction didn't work for them you know when they're selling to their customer that they've gone straight to like this is complete bullshit. And I, you know, I want you to return my money and this I'm is unacceptable. Yeah. This yeah. is completely unacceptable. And I, and I'll just be like, yeah, no problem. And I refund them their money. Like, um, but you know, that I've, n- I've never in my, the entire history of doing client services, have somebody tell me that this is completely unacceptable or this is bullshit with my work, because usually <laughs> right. I know that person they would, it's and they would, relationship, they would right? come and say like, Hey man, like I didn't get, I, I need to talk to you about something and there'd be this automatic, you know, we would, we would discuss that. And yeah, like, and I might, in that case, I might say like, oh yeah, like totally drop the ball there or, or no, that wasn't what we agreed on. So there's, we have more of this dialogue that is more, more of a human centric dialogue. Yeah. And I, I personally think that's why it's important to, at the very beginning to start with that, you, you personally doing the support. Because if you think about how you feel when you have a problem with something on Facebook and there's basically no way to get a resolution, it's just that's the platform and there, and you cannot ask for something to be different mm-hmm. and get a human to respond to that. There's no response. And there's a lot of products like that where you feel like you're actually communicating with the platform instead of with the person who creates the platform or mm-hmm. somebody that's really invested in caring about their own platform. Um, I guess one one product that I'm Marie and I are really obsessed with right now, and people accuse us of being like affiliates for them or cult members or cult members <laughs> of, of no, is a Notion, and they're they're an example of a company that has support staff that you know that they've been either trained or do a they do a really good job of this culture of of making you feel like they're like suit their champions for for getting you the thing 
getting you to the answer that you need, or in the very least case, letting you know that they care about what you would like to see happen with the platform. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I love that kind of support where people are like, you know, I will, and, you know, to my detriment, sometimes I've gone way outside of our platform and support and helped people set up Zapier uh, integrations and I help them con- connect their account to, um, you know, their forums and I do extra coding for them and I'll, you know, fix bugs. All unbillable. <laughs> and, yeah. and so that, you know, that, that's something that I think, you know, it helps, it helps create less of that, that, uh, f- that gap between the value, the percept, mm-hmm. the value perception uh, with product versus a service. Yeah, I think initially we sort of thought, oh, we'll build this product and then we'll start transitioning our services over to product. And I think very quickly we realized neither one of us was as interested or invested in the effort it was going to require to do that, nor did we want to actually remove ourselves from the client in that way. Like the parts that we really enjoy about the work that we do is working with clients and solving Mm -hmm. some really interesting big meaty challenges. And I think with product, it, uh, I think it wasn't leveraging both of our strengths in the same way. So it's not to say that certainly not anti-product necessarily, but I think the first product that we built was so huge in terms of the scope and feature set. And the fact that we would expect one person to be able to build and maintain that, I think was pretty unrealistic. Um, But gosh, we've learned so much in that process that we can now bring back to services. Yeah, I was going to say too, I mean, I can't imagine how educational just the process would have been. I feel like it's, there has been a lot of things I know in my business as well, where you do something and it's like, there's so much learning and it's very difficult the first time. But I think the good thing is if there is another product that you guys wanted to build, you could probably... And now expedite that learning. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I mean, that in itself is hugely valuable. And then going back to what Ben was saying too, having that in the products that you have right now, having this support that acts almost more like a concierge service than, mm-hmm. than a support, I think is such a huge value add because people are, yeah. uh, I think the people that, that people that get annoyed and the people that are like, I want my money back are the people that are just so used to talking to bots or talking to people who just started two days ago and that kind of stuff. So I think that that concierge service just, it makes people interacting with it, even though, like you said, it it can be seen as a commodity. It's, it makes it so much more personal, such a good value add. Yeah. We've had lots of, lots of customers, uh, especially with the, something um, I'm working right now on Doki, I'm working on this thing for, called SCA, which is this strong customer authentication, which is uh, a new a new regulation in the EU that means that when somebody makes a credit card transaction online, they're going to ask for a, sep- a second step of, of identity uh, authorization so that, you know, they can say, okay, this person that has the card is actually the person that, you know, so when think of when, you do a credit check or something and they ask you whether you had, you know, do you have a loan? How many credit cards do you have with us and whatnot when you're, you're giving some information that only you should know. Um, So there's this new step that we have to integrate with and the GDPR stuff was pretty wild as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I may have gone overboard with that. um, But now I know so much about it that when people would write in asking, you know, whether it applies to them and, and what do I need to do? I can give them like real world answers. I, I you know, I, I don't, sometimes I'm, I, you know, always preface it with, you need to speak to a lawyer, but 
I, I don't think, you know, that you, you know, you don't need to worry about that because X, Y, Z, or yeah, you, you should, you know, this will impact your business. And here's some, here's some information about that. Cause I have that knowledge that I can give to our customers. So yeah, a lot yeah. of it is just, you know, these kind of side, side knowledge that you can give to, to someone about the, the business of selling stuff online um, that can be really helpful. And we have people that have said, you know, they've talked to some other um, course platform and, and they've given them these answers that are very much not answers, you know. Or they were talking to a bot and they're like, wow, it's just so nice to talk to yeah. a human and not right. a bot. So yeah, it's an it's an unexpected bonus of being a tiny player in the space. We don't we don't really try to compete with as a like we're not trying to take customers away from other platforms. We're not trying to say we're better than other platforms. That we're we'll we're, happily talk someone out of using our platform if it's not a good fit. I, I often joke on when I do demos of the software for people. Like I'll I'll literally recommend one of the other platforms if they have a specific need that they need address. And I I'm probably the worst salesperson <laughs> in the world because I really do care about people succeeding. And so when you know when I get a and so I'm probably a really bad salesperson because when I hear a story about somebody that needs help and like, oh, I can't afford it. I, my, my very first thing is like, I'll do this work for you. <laughs> I'll help you out and I'll give you X months you. free. Like I really yeah. want to help people. And, and that, you know, can lead to a lot, a lot of additional, you know, support and, yeah. and, uh, you know, we don't make any money from those, from those contacts, but you know, they, they, you know, people really respect that, that, that they feel seen and they feel you know, like, like I care and, mm-hmm. and that we care, you know, that's, that's important to us. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's hugely valuable and way it's super rare now, just, and I think integrity alone can be such a huge, um, differentiator. Like such, such a huge differentiator. And even like a, now it's almost, it can be like, it's so rare. It can be kind of a sales, um, a sales catalyst all on its own. Uh, yeah. and I mean, talk about building the no license, no like and trust factor with your audience. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. It's just difficult because it, you know, that type of stuff doesn't scale unless you are, you're building some kind of team and that you're really, really going hard on and and, in, in, on values and, and, uh, and culture in terms of making sure that everybody at the company is, has those values that they instill into their work and that that is reflected in every interaction that you have with your customer. And that's why I, I use notion as an example of that. Cause you can tell that that's, that is, you receive that at the lowest contact point, which right. is a chat chat widget. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it is bot driven, a lot of times it still feels designed to really yeah. make you feel supported um, so you're, you know, we're not, you don't get to talk to the CEO or the CTO of notion directly, but there are companies that do that, you know, like, um, the CTO of, or the co-founder and the founder of uh, crowdcast will often hop into one of Marie's crowdcast. Yeah, he totally shows up on, and, <laughs> That's awesome. and, so you know, cool. he's there to support one of her clients using it or um remember when i had an issue and one of the one of the crowdcasts wouldn't start and he hopped on in five seconds and helped actually fix it so you you do have these companies that are very 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 customer driven and they're Mm -hmm. they you know the people that are running the things are showing up and you know that's you know that to me is 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 a is a future it's becoming table stakes i feel like that's a future ceo that ceo thing where the ceo is like yeah there's there's an operational executive um thing but they're actually more driving the values and the and the Mm. and the initiatives and the uh of the company and that sometimes means half their day is spent 
talking to customers, doing support and jumping in and, and mm-hmm. being the face of the company more so than, you know, you know, I guess that's your, you know, your operations person is running the things behind the scene, but, but that decision-making stuff I think is, you know, is, you know, presenting the company in, in the way that helps the customer feel good and feel like they're getting a return on their investment and whatnot is, is really, really important in current, you know, modern SaaS. Yeah. And talk about retention. I mean, that's like, that's the optimal retention method too. Cause I yeah. mean, it's a lot easier to keep the people that you have happy than it is to get new people. And we all know word of mouth is also the best, um, like you guys being such big proponents of notion, like word of mouth is such a huge, uh, such a huge catalyst for sales too. So yeah. I think those sort of ground level efforts are, they pay off a lot more than people realize. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've probably brought literally hundreds of people to Notion at this point. And oh, I've maxed out my referrals at a hundred. Yeah, we, had, <laughs> we had a referral link that we've maxed out. And uh, yeah, so that, you know, we technically we do get a little bit of five bucks or whatever for every person that we bring on. But, you know, that we've definitely, you know, their, their support of us is what drove us to be like just absolutely frenzied about how great it is. And so, you know, when I love a product, man, I will sing it from the rooftop for sure. For service too, right? Like, you know, like working with Tanya Geisler, you know, if anyone doesn't know her, the coach who specializes in the imposter complex, working with her was life-changing. So I'm always telling people like, you've got to be in her program if you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Every time somebody talks about imposter syndrome, I just link Tanya, like you need to hire Tanya to, for coaching Mm because that was, that we worked in person workshop we did in Toronto was pretty was pretty impactful for for me. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. She's the first, like you said, first person that comes to mind anytime someone brings it up for sure. Yeah. So I do want to circle back because Ben said the S word. So I do want to dive a little bit further into that too, uh, as far as the scalability of yourselves as a business and the product as well too. So I know. Um, I'll kind of let you guys take it from there. But I know that a lot of times because you were saying that you do offer this concierge concierge level support, a lot of times these people do turn into these larger clients where you get to build out Mm -hmm. sort of bigger platforms from and how it may not necessarily be scaling like in the thousands of numbers, but definitely scaling to like that having that level of service on uh, on a SaaS product can scale to larger one-on-one products. So yeah. I guess my big question was like, has that now become, I didn't mean to answer my own question for you, <laughs> but has that become uh, sort of part of the flow and part of a business model that you, that you didn't expect? We, yeah, we have a story that we kind of tell of one of our, recent or we're still ongoing with this client um of a kind of and we we need to put together a case study for this client because mm-hmm. it's really good um but this is kind of this specific customer has sort of revolutionized our thinking around about around lead lead generation for services with products and um Marie's talk on microconf i think it was 2 years ago now was largely about this and how we think of we think of things and now as this we think of in relation to permaculture and how we design all these smaller systems that feed into larger system, the larger system. And, and it's, it's very, I guess, waste-free in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the story goes like this. Um, I, 
I, we had a demo booking thing on our site, which we've recently taken down for a couple of reasons. Um, but I did a demo for a designer uh, and we just kind of, you know, sometimes I... Who heard the, us on a podcast. The designer heard us on a podcast <laughs> and uh, he had a customer who um, was looking for somebody to help her turn her in-person workshops and courses into an online program, a system. And this guy was a WordPress developer and he was just completely overwhelmed with how to do this and all the options. And he says, you know, I'm a designer. I'm not really a developer. So even if I use these tools for, you know, an LMS platform, I don't really know how to execute this. And then she's got all these needs outside of that, like certification and question and answer and, um, you know, scheduling and booking and all this stuff. So I said, oh, like, it sounds like you have a lot more problems than just the the shipping of a course, like, you know, because you could use our platform, you could use any of these other platforms, but it sounds like there's a kind of, it's, a uh, lot of planning and it's an operational mm-hmm. strategic thing as well, because there's all these different rules and regulations about it. Um, so this is specifically in the veterinary space. And it's in the UK. And so we had GDPR issues, all these, all all these different uh, facets of, of, of uh, different things that needed to be accounted for that was way outside of his comfort space, way outside of the the client's comfort space. So I suggested to him, uh, you should talk to my partner. She, this is kind of what she does is she helps people launch these courses and figure out what they need to know and set up systems and processes for, you know, putting it all together, so to speak. So I actually did a demo with the the end customer at one point too, and she was again, you know, not not she wasn't uh, not very tech savvy, no. so she was pretty overwhelmed. And she was she was like, "This all sounds amazing, what you're showing me, but I honestly have no clue what it means. I have no what clue next? what to do with this software. Like, my designer has no clue." So we started realizing that um, again that one of the re- main reasons that people churned on our software, which is you know basically people canceling their subscriptions because they're not really using it is because there's just this overwhelming amount of stuff that software doesn't really solve the, the the glue points in between the different tech things. So you have a lot of these, uh, you know, all of the course platforms are fantastic at launching courses. I can recommend just any Just build your six-figure course, one, two, three, <laughs> profit. Right. Launching, yeah. launching a course online in 2019 is not a challenging thing. You sign up, you put some content in and, and you ship it. But the hard part is getting it in front of people, marketing it, actually writing the the content. content. That's the hardest part. And so we started making all these products kind of around our SaaS, like to help support it. Marie's run your learning launch, which helps you launch the first version of your course and also had a, uh, a curriculum uh, designer review component as well. Mm -hmm. So we started partnering with these other people that helped us helped helped with customer success, so to speak. So Mm -hmm this customer in particular did a consulting, a, a quick consulting call with Marie, which is, we usually charge about, you know, two ninety seven four, I think. So that was cool. We just got revenue from doing a demo from, and they haven't even signed up for our product. That's neat. We got more money than they would pay us in a year of subscription. That's kind of neat. And then we did a coach, a three month coaching engagement with her. And yeah. then just launching one course turned actually, oh, I'm actually going to launch three courses. And so we just kept going on this retainer and increasing the retainer turned into one website launch, a second website launch. I think she's got like seven courses now. Now now we're doing a separate company launch. So so this just been sort of leveling up that all with this one client. So we started, so we started thinking of these demos and these, um, and sometimes people were booking demos. Uh, I did a demo with a guy that said, did you build this? And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is our product. 
And he was like, man, this is awesome. Could you build something else for me that, that works like process street, but does this and that and that. And I was like, sure. You want me to put together like a, you know, we'll, let's do a, a discovery call and we'll, you know, you know, you can pay me to spec this out for you and I can give you an estimate and da 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 da. So that, you know, people would just be do- booking a demo to find out if we could actually build something in, in a similar scope. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So it's, it started really driving a lot of our, and, and to be honest, like working on the same product for, for four or five years, it can, can, can kind of, you know, be it's a, bit of a grind. It's a grind for sure. And, and the SAS grind that, you know, the, Hockey stick of death, the on ramp of death, they call it the SAS. Long, on- slow SAS ramp of death. Right. right. <laughs> it takes a really, really long time to get to uh, traction. any traction and money that is substantial. Um, so we, Ben's not quitting his day job is basically what we're right. doing. <laughs> and I don't want to. And in yeah. terms of in terms of scalability, we've kind of reached this point where we're like, we like the we like the that it's a nice trickle of additional and not necessarily passive income, but, you know, we work on small features and we, you it's know, pretty help, stable now, help so customers it's... launch products. And, and yeah. that's kind of where we like it. You know, if we have a hundred customers, I'm totally stoked about that. If we had a thousand customers, I would have to hundred percent devote all my time to it. We'd have to staff up. I couldn't do support anymore. And then it becomes its own business. And I think that was our original thinking that, yeah. oh, this thing's going to replace Ben's income in a year. And then it'll replace Marie's income in two years. And when we didn't get the traction that, you know, we initially thought we would, we started thinking about, well, how, how can we leverage this to work for work for us? And and I think too, like with the permaculture studies and just really looking at like, what would our business look like if we designed it on purpose? And I think there was that element of when you run a one person SaaS basically, or two person SaaS, Anytime you get those like panicked support requests or like, oh, the system is down. And, um, you know, we talked about traveling and then it'd be like, I don't know if we can do that because I, I need to be available for that support. And I think there was an element of feeling like you're always on that is a little different with services. And so if we were really looking at it from the ground up, like, would we have designed what we designed knowing what would be required, knowing what kind of content marketing we'd have to do, the support team? I don't know that we would have done it in that way, knowing what we know now. Mm. I don't regret any of it. I think we've learned so much, but there's something now I think about designing on purpose, like knowing that we love the high touch. How can we do it in a way that isn't draining? How can we make sure that we're leaving time to explore products, but still doing the stuff that we're really good at? So I think the whole experience has made us a lot more intentional about like, Hey, are we deciding to do this? Because here's what that might look like in five, 10 years. Like, let's be realistic about what that's going to take. Mm-hmm. I agree with that so much because it's, I mean, everyone talks about these metrics and plans when you're first starting things out, but a lot of people forget, myself included, that like happiness is a metric and it's it's a really valuable one too. I know that when in like 2015, 2016, when I started to um, scale up a little bit within the company, although it's, I know it's not a SaaS company, but building more of an agency. I mean, we got up to in 2017 about there was almost eight of us, I think, for staff. And the intention was to continue to grow. But I was like, I don't like this. I liked it when it was four people. I liked it when it was a small... It's less a responsibility. Small, and, yeah. And it was... Uh, for sure. So it's this, this trade-off. And like you said, too, you don't, you don't know what you don't like until you can totally you do figure it. it out. So it's not... None of these are lost experiences. But you definitely... Um, scalability isn't necess- doesn't necessarily just come from 
getting thousands and thousands of people to sign up, like you demonstrated in your old business model, this can translate into different areas where you can still maintain high touch and not sacrifice quality and still be happy, but get scalability on a totally different level. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if you would agree with this, Marie, but I, I think that we we just focus on different metrics and the, and this kind of thing has has really solidified that for us. I think that we we might think of impact in the scale that we want to target. So we wanna we wanna do more impactful work for people that really, you know, we have our clients, you know, Marie's clients specifically will say, you have changed my life. Like that's the kind of impact. Nothing replaces that. that we want sure. <laughs> so maybe it's not as much money and maybe or it's as like, many people. it's not like if you completely revolutionize the way somebody does business is that, you know, and that, but you make it just easier for, a, you know, people to sell stuff online. Like that's kind of a cool thing. And we do have Doki customers that have been, that, you know, some of our early customers were like, when I used to do my launches, I would just... One of our earliest customers actually said something that I was like... I brought a tear to my eye that said... <laughs> she was like, when I used to do my launches, I would schedule... Whole day. I would schedule whole days to answer support requests from my customers because this wouldn't work. This wouldn't be unlocked. Somebody didn't get the email. Somebody got deleted. Like, she, you know, she would <laughs> have all these... something. So yeah. she would schedule whole, like, whole days, whole weeks to work with the fallout of all the technical stuff that would go wrong because a PayPal thing couldn't go through. And when she did her first launch with our software, it was like, she, she, she called us, she called us because she thought the software was down because nobody had emailed her to say that it wasn't working. (laughs) Oh, that's the best kind of compliment. It was so cool. Yeah. I'm like, everything's, everything looks, looks good here. Um, you know, I can go and look at the logs and be like, yeah, like your students are looks like they're logging in and they're, they're completing their content. She was just like, Oh my God, it's the best day ever. So that feeling like there's just nothing that replaces that kind of impact. And I think we know a lot of people in the SaaS space that, have a majority of their revenue coming from people that don't actually use the platform. And I think a lot of other people are fine with that. And they're like, awesome, whatever, like I'm hitting my numbers and, and they don't really care. And that's fine. But I think it just, we, we care too much and that might hold us back in some ways, but we value flexibility. We value impact. There's certain things that really matter to us in our business and we have that. And so I think we're really well diversified yeah. across different types of services, yeah. products, courses, and, and that works for us. Yeah. I mean, in the past, I wouldn't have mind scaling up more customers, but then you have to, then you move away from that. Um, You know, uh, last year we had a customer in France reach out and was like, I I like your platform, but you, you know, you're not in, you know, you, you don't have the content in French yet. And I was like, uh, you know, I can have that to you by November. You know, they give me a lot of times people request a feature and say, I was, my response is normally when's your launch date. Whereas even Notion, you know, you'll say, could it do this and this and this? And they, they say their standard response is always, we'll put your vote in for that feature, which <laughs> is kind of a way of kicking it down the... Right. Down the, you know, they have their goal. Last week, they told me they're, they're currently working on performance and speed or something like that, a couple of different things. So I know my features aren't getting worked on. Um, so that's, you know, that's something I like doing is... is somebody presenting like it would be really beneficial and then you know we were able to sign up a couple more uh french canadian clients because oh yeah we do offer the the student experience in french now cool so you know that those kind of things you wouldn't be able to do if you scaled because then we'd have to start thinking about hiring people and you know maybe maybe one day we'll see 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I know we touched a lot on um, like the values that you guys have at, at Oki and, uh, and how those have scaled into your businesses as well. But I do want to switch gears a little bit to more of the personal aspects of working together because not only are you guys married, but your business partners too. And as we know, or as we suspect, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of crossover between those things. So mm. I think some of my first questions are when you guys have new ideas, do you, do you talk about them with each other? I know obviously you share a business, so you talk about them in that respect too. But if there's ideas maybe or issues that you don't agree on, do you find that carries over into your personal life as well? Yeah, I don't think there's a ton of separation between our our sort of life and business operations, just in terms of how we, you know, run things by each other and talk about what's going on. Um, We're one of those weird couples that pretty much spends all of our time together. Like our desks are side by side. We live, (laughs) you know, we live in a very open concept house. Um, I think what helps us is setting up our own kind of routines and rituals and, you know, you kind of learn the signals when you can say like, hey, I'm, I'm actually in the zone right now. Like, I just really need to focus for the next couple hours. And um, we kind of have some division that way. But yeah, we, we generally have to, you know, we run our ideas by each other. You know, sometimes Ben might say, oh, man, I've got an idea for like a product that we could build or, you know, something in the firefighting space. And, and so, it, you know, I think when things fall through the cracks, like there's times where like, like Ben went and like, paid a friend to make a logo for a, a project that was kind of like a side gig that, and we hadn't really talked about like, Hey, is that something that we want to put the business revenue into yet? Um, you know, that sort of felt unfair, like, Hey, you're making a decision without me. And so there well, are times like that, that. Probably most of our, most of the stuff that, and I, I don't really think, I, I don't really think of, uh, I, I often joke with people um, that, you know, uh, starting a business partnership is way more serious than a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think I personally think that's true. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the stuff that bleeds into our business and vice versa is generally the stuff that people argue about in your traditional marriage. Mm, um, money. So it's yeah. pretty much the financial stuff. Yeah. Um, so we, we have, we sort of treat our, I mean, because we're we're a team, our business is together. We treat our business and our life as sort of this holistic unit, and we discuss things in our life in a, a lot in the same way that we discuss things in the business. So they're all kind of interrelated, and and our business is a is an asset that we maintain that feeds our our lifestyle, and so we curate all of our systems in our business to. So that support our life. It's it's an input output yeah. thing, and we you know so we have these ins and outs of our business and our life that all kind of feed each other. Um, so right now we're doing. Marie had the idea that she wanted to convert our existing accounts in our business to the profit first method. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have been going. We've been doing a lot of research and and talking and you know setting up accounts and looking yeah. at bookkeeping strategies and so that that stuff. You know, we'll we'll do some research and some business techniques for making your business more profitable and da 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 da. da and then one of us will have some kind of you know oh like that that's so cool because we could do that in our personal account too. And then you know this and this and this and you know it's it all kind of layers all connected, yeah, <laughs> on top of each other and. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say the financial stuff is something that we we that is there's a lot of crossover. All of our all of our planning and our agenda and stuff is we we both have very personalized but 
reflective of each other's working styles, agendas that we developed in Notion. And so we do all of our life and business planning in the same place. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're able to make sure that, you know, that Marie, I I don't know where you got this phrase from, um, but we were really specific about sort of eschewing work-life balance for work-life integration. Mm. And I think that's especially important for independent people because there is, it does very much get blurry when you don't have a nine to five E go to the office, come home, take off this work hat, put on the, the family hat. And I think it's tough when you really love what you do. And I'm like, I just want to spend the evening like working on that sales page or like tinkering on a thing. And and so it can be really hard, I think. And that's why we don't worry too much about, yeah. You don't. But uh, yeah. <laughs> at the end, you know, that's my, my slogan yeah. at the end of the day is shut it down, Poulin, because... You know. I do hear that a lot. <laughs> shut it down, Poulin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it too. I do the same thing. Fun fact, Marie and I have the same birthday for everyone yeah. else there. <laughs> but maybe it's like one of those traits. So we'll talk, let's talk a little bit because you touched on routines. Uh, I know myself and I talked to Dr. Sherry about this and there's been some, there's been a lot of talk. I mean, there's always a lot of talk about, about routines and entrepreneurship and freelance specifically, especially when you can work from anywhere. Um, I know my day is as soon as I started going to the gym in the morning, I found my day was much more delineated because I got up and I put on gym clothes. And then of course you have to shower when you get home. So you have automatically have clean clothes for the beginning of the day. And I feel like mm-hmm. that that sets it up for for the rest of the day. And I think there's a lot of other people that really indulge in the, um, I can work in from my pajamas kind of. Neither uh, of us do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, was talk- I was talking with my friend Jevin yesterday because he tweeted a thing that was something about, you know, you can, and there's this kind of joke about Uh, it's like the no pants mafia or something (laughs) where I can work at home and no pants. And like, I honestly, I don't think I've worn PJs since I was maybe like 12. I used to, I I used to sleep in, I would just put on the clothes I was going to wear the next day when I was a teenager. What about your robe that I made you? Yeah. Well, I may be a pretty sweet robe for that. (laughs) That really, that's awesome. Uh, But I wear like a full jeans and a t-shirt under my robe. (laughs) Um, so yeah, when I was a teenager, man, I slept in blue jeans and like a black shirt and that was what I wore every single day. Like maybe when I wake up, I'd put on one of three black hoodies, (laughs) (laughs) but that's like, I never wore PJs in my life. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely have a, you know, if it it just doesn't make me feel like I'm actually taking the work day seriously when I'm, when I don't get do my morning routine. And I think like you, Margaret, I use my, if we're going to use power of habit, the, my waterfall habit is exercise first thing when I wake up. Mm. Um, and that sort of sets me up because I have certain rituals around drinking a glass of water before I leave the house. Um, when I, you know, my, my running shoes are outside the house. So I put my running shoes on as soon as I walk outside I go to the gym come back. And then I, as soon as I get home, I do a ritual and then I have uh, a startup and shutdown rituals that that's relatively new. So when I reach my computer, I make, I do a certain 10 step process of preparing for my day, which includes uh, drinking another glass of water. I do these breathing exercises to build lung capacity with this device that I bought online. That's probably not very effective, but 
I do it anyway. Um, <laughs> Even if it's I, mental, it's still yeah, effective. It helps, you, it helps with the deep breathing and the kind of relaxation. And you know, I'm I'm about to start working, and I do. I I have medication and and vitamins that I take. I give the dog the medication. You know, all these different things, and then I start journaling. So I set my intentions and plan my day, and then I can then I start working. And I, you, you mentioned Atomic Habits, I think, before we started talking, but that's, you know, a lot of stuff I got from there. And also Deep Focus, the Cal mm-hmm. Newport book was a big, mm-hmm. big uh, influence on my mindset. Deep work? Mm-hmm. Is it deep work? Deep yeah, not work, Deep yeah. Focus, but Deep Focus is the concept of deep work, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, my morning's a little more <laughs> lackadaisical, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I don't get up early and work out, although I have been using that. To, it's like, I think it's called the seven minute workout, which has been really handy. And one thing that I started doing now that that I just love, and it's kind of ridiculous that I I didn't make time for it before, was like, I need a slow coffee in the morning. Like, if I can take 20 minutes even to sit and have a coffee, sit on the patio, like, while the sun is shining, that is the best feeling. Like, that sets the day up for success. And I think, you know, in previous freelancing years, Margaret, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I just used to like grab the phone and then you're already in a panic. You're like, oh God, that client needs that thing. And you're just jumped up right at the computer. Yeah. Um, and I used to do that for many, many years. But now it's like, wait a second, I can decide not to have calls before 10 a.m. That's the thing that I have decided to do. And there are certain days of the week that I will not take calls. And so it's taken a long time, I think, to find that groove and to find the things that really work for me and that I can make those decisions and, and be like, no, this is a thing that I need for to feel successful and to feel productive. So it's taken a while to find those for sure. Definitely. For all the, for all the current reading that I've been doing, I, I do feel that distraction is an attention deficit, not to say ADHD or anything, but attention deficit is actually killing us yeah. as a, as a species. Like, I feel like we are going to start living shorter lives because we're, you know, actually not, you know, that, we're that idea that you're, yeah. you don't really, your autonomic systems or whatever are shutting off. You know, you don't Everything's breathe, on high alert you, stop, all the time. you slow your yeah. breathing and you're not breathing deeply when you're, when you're engaged with the content or reading content and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you're just, you're slow the F yeah, down. <laughs> your brain is, your brain is sort of atrophizing, I think by just consuming and not really spending time focusing, which actually develops your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree like this and I've been so guilty of it too, Marie, like check my emails from bed, which is like the worst thing that you could do. And I've yeah. made a concerted effort to, to not do that anymore because like you said, Ben, it's like, then the rest of what the rest of the day we're kind of just swimming in cortisol, which doesn't do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, so we went through we went through about Doki and kind of kind of glimpse into how your life is uh, working together. But if there was anyone considering starting either starting a project or starting a business with their someone who is already their life partner, is there any advice that we could give them? I have a, a couple tips. I think um, I think being really, really, really honest and clear about what your strengths are and also your responsibilities is is pretty key. I think I think we're in a good spot because we we don't really step on each other's toes and because we've kind of given each other that permission, if you will, to say like, yeah, like it makes sense for you to lead those projects and I'm not going to take it personally. And you go off and design and do your thing. And if you need my help, I'm there for you. But really like trusting that the other has it, that we're making good decisions, um, checking in pretty regularly. I think 
that was something that became a problem a couple of times when we'd, we'd almost give each other so much responsibility and independence that we'd kind of go off and do our own thing and we'd kind of be going off in these different directions. Mm-hmm. And I think we... We'd end up getting to a point where we'd be saying like, so what have you been working on for the last month or two? Yeah, or, ju- or just... It just didn't, <laughs> I don't know. I think once we finally got back on the same page and said, you know, we need a weekly... It's funny, like that we work side by side, you know, at the same these desks right beside each other, but we weren't really communicating about even goals or kind of what are we working toward getting on the same page. So I think having a weekly Monday afternoon check-in was something that we got into a good habit of. And that Mm. really made a lot of sense. and was really good for us. Um, So open communication, being really honest. um, And obviously the same goes for, you know, a a loving relationship too. It's just communication is everything. I I think it's, I think it's time to, you know, if you're depending on, are you already married? Uh, Are you thinking about getting married? Have you been living together for quite a long time? Like you're going to, you're going to maybe have some, some things that might need to get resolved before you start a business together. And um, therapy, honestly, (laughs) well, that was where I was going with this. The one thing that a hundred percent when our, our existing website, we feel right now is like some of the best work we've ever done. Like the copywriting, the design, we get compliments on it all the time. And we're so proud of it. And it took us a year to write that content, literally a year. Yeah. And it's like a five page website or something like that. It just took us so long to really, I like I felt for a while that I was not represented in the business. And then, you know, we were doing, we were doing these kind of different things. And I was, I was, feeling Cause, cause like Doki was kind of separate. Too, yeah. And it was I, sort of like Ben is Doki. I just didn't have just, a, I just didn't have the network and the, and the clients that you were getting. And so I felt a little bit like out, out of sorts out of the business. and yeah. we wanted to start over from scratch and redo that. But we, we actually started noticing a lot of the same patterns in our personal life from what was going on with our inability to get this website finished. And so we actually started going to couples therapy and we did that for about six months. And then when we, then when we started again, it was like, uh, like just like these so like bam good. bam bam like uh, we were just writing and killing it on design and it just came together and it was like a thing that we really collaborated really hard on marie was doing these you know design specs and then i would take it and flush out the final design and and we would be back and, forth. Copy yeah. and it just it it hit this flow state but it took so long to get yeah. there and i think there was a lot of resentment building in ways that mm-hmm. we I don't even think you knew that you'd felt like you were sort of left out of the business. So there was a lot of um, bigger questions that ended up we had to ask ourselves about like, okay, well, what is our business all about and what do we each want out of it? And all these bigger sort of philosophical questions came out. I'd, I'd, you know, that would be my answer, honestly, before you started therapy. Absolutely. Before, absolutely. during, and after. Copious, you know? copious therapy because it's it's, it's so, so it, it's so important and finding a good therapist can be hundred percent it can save your life yeah, like, and yeah. your and your partnerships and it's important to do that stuff uh, proactively rather than yeah don't wait till waiting. shit hits the fan yeah, you know yeah. so that's number one in my book is, yeah. is getting somebody a little more objective to to speak to those things about. Yeah, because I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but ultimately, I feel like it comes down to a relationship is a relationship, whether it's work and or whether it's business or whether it's personal. And it's the same amount of efforts that need to go into preparing and preserving both of those. And I think, yes. like you said, having that, having that arsenal of um, preventative therapy mm-hmm. can, can, 
be so much more powerful than, like you said, waiting for shit to hit the fan. And then all of a sudden people are scrambling, but, and then, and it's usually when, when shit hits the fan, it's never about what actually hits the fan. It's about everything leading up to that. And I think that can be so true in, in business and personal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we have no shortage of people that have, when we say that we're uh, business partners and life partners that, they say I could never work with my partner. <laughs> I find that I find that fascinating. Like, what does that say about your partnership that you couldn't stand doing something, you know, with them? Like, yeah. that, was, that was a challenge, you know. For sure, right. you guys have been very open and honest and vulnerable, and I appreciate it so much. Um, so, I want to take the last couple of minutes to ask you guys what you've got going on right now. Where where can people follow you? Where can they find you? Where can they work with you? All that fun stuff. Yeah. At the moment, uh, I've got a couple things in the pipeline. I'm working on a mastermind that I'm partnered up with Kai Davis on called uh, Design Your Productized Offer. And um, just some like really interesting bigger clients that have come through the door too that I'm just really Mm -hmm. excited. So I'm just trying to reduce the number of clients I'm working with and focus on a few key Mm -hmm. ones and then build up some of the products and masterminds that I've got developing behind the scenes. And Ben... Yeah, I'm, uh, like I mentioned earlier, previously, uh, right now, Doki-wise, I'm working on the strong customer authentication upgrades. Uh, I just wrote an email yesterday saying how, you know, makes me sad that I have to work on this kind of stuff instead of new features, but, you know, it is what it is. And, and you know, the, a lot of the stuff that I do busy work-wise helps, you know, move the platform forward for everyone. So that's cool. Uh, I'm working on a... Uh, documentation troubleshooting center project for a company in the states that does uh, machine and and uh, ball bearing parts. So that one's Super a little <laughs> a little bit of engineering, a little bit of documentation, a little bit of uh, programming, and some marketing work. So it's a nice. I like those projects that have these you know tons of touch points, and you got to write custom API integrations and things like that. So that excites me. <laughs> um, yeah, and I have a. A, in mid-August, I'm starting at a, a, a really, really big project that may turn into something uh, very long-term. So we'll see. We'll see. I got a lot going on. Um, awesome. So yeah, it's a busy, busy month. Yeah, people can find us at uh, weareokidoki.com and uh, we're both pretty active on Twitter. You can you know Google our names on, on Twitter and I tend to also tell stories on Instagram so you can look at my name on Instagram. Amazing. I'll link those. I'll link your socials and your website up in the show notes as well, too, in case anyone wants to reach out as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of the podcast. And uh, I'm so excited that I finally had you on. We'll have Marie on in another episode, too. But I don't think I said in the intro, I've known these guys for a few years, Marie for almost a decade now. And so excited (laughs) to see what comes for all of us in the future. Yeah. Awesome. I have a feeling. Thanks so much for having us, Margaret. Thank you. No problem. Thanks guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. As always, I love to keep the conversation going. So head over to Twitter or Instagram at Margaret Fell. That's at M-A-R-G-R-E-F-F-E-L-L. And tag me or slide into my DMs with any questions you may have. You can also find me at my home base of margrafell.com for all the resources. I'll see you next time.